The International Association for Near-Death Studies presents NDE Radio, a weekly exploration of near-death experiences and similar encounters with the other side. Now, here's your host, Lee Whitting. Welcome to NDE Radio, brought to you by IANS, the International Association for Near-Death Studies. I'm your host, Lee Whitting. Occasionally, I hear from a listener complaining about the time we spend on the cause of an NDE, the medical or psychological details that may have led to the situation that ultimately triggered the NDE event. Well, there are a couple of reasons, I think, that uh, these medical details add to the story. For me, one is certainly my own background as an EMT on an ambulance in Maine, and later as a hospital chaplain working with patients in the uh, ER in the intensive care units and with end-of-life patients as well. Medical events just by themselves can represent a learning experience for patients. But second is uh, is the fact that NDEs and other spiritually transformative experiences are often very personalized, almost designed by the other side as a learning experience. And to me, the physical cause and the spiritual event often go hand-in-hand. And the following story is a good example of such an event and the resulting NDE. It comes as uh, one of IAN's monthly emails to members, uh, just one of the several benefits to being an IAN's member. This is a woman who talks about her uh, pregnancy, her the birth and the events that followed. In this account from Western Australia, a recent mother hemorrhages and enters a peaceful state while still in her body. Then she's given a choice and lets go. She finds herself in the midst of a huge celebration before moving toward a library where she meets ancient friends. She learns many things, including about contacts and purpose, so that when she returns to her body, she faces a long recovery, both physically and spiritually. But finally, she learns to access the peace and grace while in her body. And, uh, this is in her own words, written uh, and submitted to Ions. And the quote that opens it is, I was still aware of myself as me, but the super expanded version. And this, these are, uh, these are her words. The birth of my third child was by emergency C-section. The overtone during the birth surgery was one of hushed, quiet voices. Very little shared or explained. A general feeling of unease throughout. Once the birth surgery was over, I was reunited with my little one in the maternity ward. I was in a lot of pain, as was to be expected, and had what I thought to be an unusual amount of discomfort. I'd had two previous uh, C-sections, and I knew that this felt different. I was assured all was well, and that the healing was on track. I was allowed to go home two days later. I thought that if I got home, I would begin to feel better again. But what followed was ten days of subdued, quiet awareness. Like I wasn't quite myself, but could not pinpoint what was wrong. Two more visits to the midwife proved everything to be fine. And she puts fine in quotes. Even though my baby was losing weight and I had no milk. But none of these rang alarm bells for me or the medical staff. And my assertions of general unease were put down to my recent surgery. It was noted, however, that I had an extreme amount of bruising around the incision. The midwife made my doctor aware of this, 
and was told to keep an eye on it, and if I was concerned that I should book an appointment. The ten days blurred by. I was aware that my baby was incredibly patient and quiet, rarely cried, and slept most of the time. It didn't occur to me that I had no milk until perhaps the seventh day. Uncharacteristically, he began to wail, and it all began to make sense. That night we gave him milk from the fridge as it was all we had, and he was soothed. I had begun to bleed by this stage, bright red drops, light at first, nothing too alarming. I thought it odd, but my thoughts were not clear. Over the next three days, the bleeding became heavier until on the tenth day I could not keep up with the pad change. I called the doctor, still unconcerned. I made my appointment and sat down to feed my baby. Not long after I sat down, I felt an overwhelming sense of something. A fullness, perhaps. An eruption just about to begin. At that exact moment, my husband walked in the door, home early to grab a bite to eat. I gave him the baby with an urgency that overcame me. I just knew I needed to get up. And then the flood began. The blood streamed down my legs, warm and heavy. The flow was torrential. At some point, my husband had to put the baby down and was now holding me. I was leaning against him, crying and crying out, What is happening? I simply did not understand what I was seeing and feeling. I squeezed my legs tight together in an effort to stop the flow to no avail. And then suddenly I understood the absurdity of trying to control this. I realized there was nothing I could do that could change this and I simply had to let go, I simply had to go with it. I had the intense sensation that my whole life was bleeding away and I was overcome with a sense of peace. Time and space slowed right down. I could see decisions and, and the choices being made. I took a long, deep breath and saw the universe shifting and expanding. I knew then that I could make a choice to be terrified and panicked, or I could make a choice to surrender, let go, let go of my life. And I saw that there was, in fact, no choice. There was only one, let go, and it felt like a complete letting go of my life. My husband put me in the shower while he raced around getting things organized. In his panic, he forgot to turn on the hot water. I had a ridiculous thought that I was going to bleed to death in a freezing shower, and I began to laugh. But then as I saw the blood in its constant stream, I, I slowly cried, big, heavy tears. Watching my life slip away had a very calming and grounding effect on me, and, and by this stage, nothing was stopping the blood. I shoved a wet towel between my uh, legs and to catch the flow. I noticed that there was blood all over the floor, everywhere, and I felt that panic again. And then I breathed. That slowness, that higher part of myself stepped in. She knew exactly what to do and slowed everything down. And everything stayed incredibly slow. My husband was talking too fast, moving too fast, driving too fast. More than once, I asked him to slow down in a very calmed, measured voice. He looked at me like I was crazy. Ar arriving at the hospital was intense. Everyone around me was in emergency mode. I couldn't reconcile it with how I was feeling, calm, 
still, quiet. I wanted to sleep. I was later transferred to a larger hospital and thought it a bit of an overreaction with the lights, the sirens, speed of the ambulance. The nurse and medic beside me continued to move with speed. Once at the hospital, I was prepped for surgery with cannula um, after cannula going into my arm and hands. Uh, each new doctor asked what, when, how, and I think I explained it to them, but I, I have a little memory of this time. I felt I was talking too slowly and quietly for them to understand. I had several hours where I lost consciousness here, and when I awoke, it was hard to find they were flying me to a city hospital. I think this is the first time, the first time reality stepped in and I suddenly understood where I was and what was happening and I began to cry again. The plane waited several more hours as I needed to be stable enough to make the flight. Eventually, late at night, I was wrapped in blankets, waiting on the gurney in an open hangar to board the flying doctor's plane. I was conscious again, and I could see the stars all around me, and suddenly the distance between those stars and me was reduced to nothing. I was aware that I was the stars, the universe, and consciousness. I found my presence here. Under those stars, I saw everything as, as a whole and connected, and it was overwhelming and normal all at once. I felt such immense joy. I was part of this. On the journey to the city, I felt completely supported and surrounded by what one could only call angelic beings. They were so close, I felt I could touch them. I, I really wanted to be with them, but the doctor kept gently shaking me awake. I smiled up at him each time. It was so peaceful in that semi-conscious state. Everything had a beautiful glow, a beautiful golden glow. Just before surgery, I was waiting in a small room beside the operating theater. The anesthesiast was beside me. She said she would check if there were, if they were ready for me and left me alone. In those moments, I started to cry again, big slow tears rolling down my face as I lay there. I was just so tired, so incredibly tired, soul weary. I realized I didn't want to be kept awake anymore. I just wanted to sleep, and in sleeping, I knew I would be giving up my life. And I decided that was the easiest decision I had ever made. I felt my body and mind begin to let go. Then I saw a hand beside me, and a firm and cheery voice say to me, Are you coming with us, then, or staying here? And I knew uh, what this moment what this meant, I knew I was leaving my body. I was shown briefly an apocalyptic scene and was given the understanding that this had been my life, a life lived in fear. And then I reached out for that hand and had a split second of thinking about my family. I knew immediately that they would be okay. They had their own life. And then freedom, immense and full, understanding and knowing I was pulled out of my body very fast, and then the music began, and fireworks, a celebration on every level, choirs of angels, and jubilation. I felt free. I was weightless, a beam of light, flying, 
soaring through the bright sky. The light was immense and went in every direction. Blue, bright sky everywhere. I had those first few moments of reveling in that glory of freedom, and then I knew exactly where I needed to be. I moved off in a specific direction, soaring extremely fast through that space. The enormity and interconnectedness of everything was an all-consuming feeling. I was one with God consciousness. I was still aware of myself as me, but the super-expanded version, the version that knew all and saw all. I saw structure hanging in the sky in the distance. This was where I was headed. It was circular in shape. I saw three other light beams also headed that way. I felt utter elation. I knew who they were, and I was excited to meet them again. I arrived at what was a vast library. Greeting the others was like greeting friends and family, although none were from my previous life. These were more ancient than that, cycling through time together. Some had not been incarnate for thousands of years. I was home with them, and we were so happy to see one another. We talked and reminisced. We shared stories of my life. We discussed contracts and purpose. How did I feel about my life? And then I was handed a book. I flicked through it and looked, it looked, and it looked empty. Every page was blank. And then I opened to a page with words. And when I saw those two words, I knew I was coming back to my life. I was going back. I was supported in this decision, asked again and again if that was what I wanted. I just knew if I didn't, I, I would be coming back again to do this, this life thing, another birth, another life, another journey. And I knew that I may not get it again. Self-worth, which she puts in quotes, had been my nemesis my whole, many whole lifetimes, thousands of them, a vast stream flashing by me, and I knew it. This was the one thing left to master. And I'll repeat again, self-worth. I touched down onto a road. It was wide and long, long grass and flowers waving gently in the breeze on either side. I started to walk, and as I walked, a house started to come into view. As I got closer, I could hear voices, laughter, talking. Then I could see groups of people in a cottage garden. I walked in through the front gate and headed for the front door. I didn't feel like I knew any of these faces. I stepped inside the house to subdued light like a soft chain, uh, orange and golden glow. I noticed that the room was full of small children, toddlers and infants. Outside it was all adults. These children were holding one another. There was support from elderly helpers like grandparents. Some children were walking or being carried up some stairs over to one side. I joined them on the stairs and found I had my hands being held by some small children. I could see at the top of the stairs an old couple hugging and whispering to the children and babies. 
When I got to the top, they hugged me and whispered words of love into my ears. The children were then taken to various doors to go through. I stood watching for a while, uncertain that I wanted to be here. The grandmother motioned to me. Are you ready? she asked. I shook my head. She asked me two more times before she said, come and help us. So I took my place at the top of the stairs and whispered words of love into each child's ear. After a while, she looked at me. A questioning look. I nodded and got up. I walked through a door and inside was a mirror on the wall. The room was soft and glowing and dim. I walked up to the mirror and looked into my eyes. Are you ready? I asked. I wasn't sure I was, but I did it anyway. Vroom! Sucked back into my body again. Waking up after surgery, my very first statement was, I am here. I had been intubated, so my croaky voice did not carry very far. The midwife in my room said, Oh, you're awake, and gave me some ice to suck. I was back in my body, in my life, ready with, a, with my purpose. I had lost four liters of blood. I was transfused with six pints of blood and 15 pints of plasma. I had my uterine arteries cauterized and never was able to bring my milk supply back for my little one. I spent many weeks recovering in hospital and then had home care after that. It has taken me six years and counting to rewrite my life. In many ways, I've been reborn. I lost my memories. I had a very dark night of the soul where I developed anxiety, depression, and PTSD. I longed for that connection again and had many long nights contemplating how I could get back. After the initial euphoria, I lost all reality and ceased to function on a normal level. But slowly, slowly, I began to access that peace and grace in waking life. I began to see the slowness and the vastness of the, and the choice. I began to love myself. I was grounded, slow, thoughtful. Everything in my life changed. Now I'm helping others access that innate peace inside them. Through reality, acceptance, surrender, and self-love, connecting them to their past, their lineage, and that knowing that we are not alone in this vastness. We're always connected, part of the whole, part of the one consciousness. It all matters, yet nothing matters. And then, as a final note, <laughs> I had a second OBE on my way home from the hospital. I live 500 kilometers from the city, from the uh, city hospital, and my mom offered to drive me and my baby home as I was not allowed to drive. We got about 60 kilometers from my hometown, and I had an overwhelming urge to swap with my mom and drive. She resisted this, but I insisted. Further up the road, a car pulled out in front of us. We were traveling at 110 kilometers per hour when this happened.
I had no time to break, but only respond. In that split second, I swerved around the car on the outside onto the roadside. There just happened to be a small slipway there. I left my body and looked down at the car and my baby in the back. I saw his car seat swerve violently. I heard clearly, are you sure? I have no doubt that my mother could not have reacted quickly enough. Had I not insisted I drive, there may have been a different outcome for us all. I am so incredibly grateful for my life, although to this day, my mom can't speak about that drive. And there ends the story. Well, I thought, since we have a few minutes left, that I would um, talk a little about some of the uh, after-effects of uh, an NDE like the one that uh, she's described. Uh, NDE researcher PMH Outwater has created a really useful list of common psychological after-effects of near-death states. And uh, so I thought this would be a good review for finishing up the show today. Now, my thanks to PMH for all the NDE research she has contributed to IONS and to the world. Um, you can find her books uh, online at Amazon, uh, and you can find interviews that she's done on NDE Radio uh, just by going to our site and hit our Past Shows button. On this sheet, she lists, lists the physiological effects, but uh, I'm going to concentrate on the psychological ones. These are psychological after-effects of near-death states that PMH says are most common uh, between 80 to even 99% of NDEers uh, report these after-effects. Loss of the fear of death. Um, Becoming more spiritual, less religious. As I list these, by the way, think back on the story I just read and how, how these fit so well. More generous and charitable. Um, people handle stress more easily, even though they may be more, more stressed by their, the physical handicaps they may have, uh, sustained as a result of their accident. They become more philosophical, more open, more accepting of the new and the different. In other words, not so locked into the traditions they grew up with. There's a larger disregard for time and schedules. It's um, and it's like you're seeing things uh, with greater perspective. Um, it, it makes more sense. You don't feel so trapped by by the little uh, plans we make for ourselves. Um, experiencers regard things as new even when they're not. Um, boredom uh, levels decrease. In other words, everything uh, is so, uh, we say, uh, ingrained in our lives that we can become depressed by it and under other circumstances. But uh, with the circumstance of having experienced an NDE, you're alive to it and you're you're ready to take that same challenge on again. Um. Uh, NDEers form expansive concepts of love. Of course, they've experienced uh, the greatest love, the unconditional love, while at the same time challenged 
They're challenged, they feel challenged to initiate and maintain satisfying relationships. And it's a struggle sometimes uh, um, because uh, an end year or someone who's gone through a spiritually transformative experience coupled with perhaps a major uh, catastrophic accident uh, can be very changed by these events, can be very different to their families, to their husbands or wives. And uh, sometimes uh, these um, relationships don't sustain because because of that all the change that's taken place. Uh, end years become uh, psychically intuitive, at least more psychically intuitive than they were before. They know things. They know things through through dreams, through um, faith, through uh, through uh, the understanding of what previously they might have called consequence. And uh, NDE notes here a closer connection to deity, to God. They're more prayerful. Uh, they are better able to deal with bouts of depression, or they, uh, but they have to deal with it because it does come, and they're less competitive. Okay, so that's her list of the uh, most common psychological after effects. Now, this is the list of quite common, and uh, PMH says 50 to 79% of those who've experienced NDEs uh, have these characteristics as well. Um, the the NDE display, uh, displays uh, psychic phenomena, uh, vivid dreams and visions. Um, uh, PMH says that uh, the NDE's inner child has issues, and those issues become exaggerated. Um, they become convinced of the purpose of life, the mission of life, why they're here. And uh, they reject previous limitations and previous norms. Episodes of future knowing are common. And um, the the person is more detached, more uh, objective. There's a, a quality of uh, of um, disassociation. Uh, they merge easily, um, and she puts in parentheses absorption. Um, there's a hunger for knowledge, uh, a difficulty communicating, and with language. Uh, and that can go, uh, that can result, or other things can result in, um, deep periods of depression, feelings of alienation from others, especially those people that this person was com- communicating with in other levels and other, in other terms before the, uh, experience. PMH says synch- synchronicity is commonplace. Uh, the person may become more or less sexual, less desire for possessions and money. There's definitely more service, service oriented. I hear those stories again and again. Um, some people, uh, develop a healing ability. Uh, they can touch others and bring energy to others that, uh, that results in healing. They're attractive to animals. And they're good with plants. This is a common experience uh, that um, when you recognize the universality of consciousness, um, they become aware of invisible energy fields. Sometimes they can see auras around other people. 
They have a preference for open doors and open windows. I like that one. But shades, uh, they want those shades open too. And uh, sometimes they're drawn to crystals. Sometimes they laugh more because there is a lot of absurdity in this creation. Um, and adults feel lighter afterwards while children are wiser, more serious, and uh, their bonding to their parents lessens. Well, thank you, PMH, for that for that incredible list. Um, and thank you, listeners, for listening. If you'd like to hear this show again or any of our past shows, just go to our website at nderadio.org and hit the past shows button. And for information about IONS, just go to their website at iands.org. And be with us again next Monday, 11 a.m. Eastern, for more NDE Radio. This is your host, Lee Whitting, saying thanks for listening.